I think actually we'll start at verse 20 because um, this evening's passage starts with a word therefore. It makes a little sense therefore if we start a little earlier. So uh, page 1175, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Well, what are you wearing today? Um, I guess most of us have given some um, thought to this. What's the weather doing? How cold is it? Is it still pouring with rain? Where am I going? Where am I going after church? And I imagine some of us may have tried something and then we changed our minds and we got changed before coming out. Well, this evening is the spiritual parallel to that. What are you wearing spiritually? In other words, your behavior. And do you need to change? Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through the Bible this evening. Father, we thank you for Ephesians chapter 4. And as we get to this next bit from uh, verse 25, we pray, Lord, that you may be our teacher and that we may listen and listen wisely so that we may put this into practice with wisdom in our lives, we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen. So we're thinking about this. What are you wearing today? Need to get changed? 
Well, as we saw last week, this passage I just mentioned earlier, this passage follows on very closely from last week. And uh, if you were here last week, uh, you will have seen that we were looking at some foundations to this week. Last week, we were seeing that you couldn't be more different and therefore be more or so be more different. In other words, if you're a Christian, you couldn't be more different from the way you were before you became a Christian. You couldn't be more different from the world around us. So be more different. Live it out. And this week, we're going to be seeing about how we live it out, how it works out in the nitty-gritty. And uh, the Bible describes our everyday behavior like clothes that we wear. And so we're thinking, especially, what are you wearing today? And do you need to get changed? What were you wearing this afternoon? that you would want to change in terms of the way that you live, for instance. Now, as you read this, it looks and it reads a bit like a list, doesn't it? Um, And uh, we see the things here, starting at verse 25, page 1175, then going over the page. We see that list there, and uh, but it's best not to think of it as a list, but rather because it's not exhaustive, it's better to be thinking of this in terms of examples, And it's not just a list of commands. It's not just saying, don't do this, don't get the, you know, don't do that, and don't all the rest of it. You know, it's not saying, stop it. No, this is just a a, a list of examples of how we practically we can live once we've realized that we couldn't be more different from the way we were before we became Christians. And we're going to see that while he gives the negative saying, actually, it's a great thing to stop doing that because you're different now. He also talks about how we can posit the positive counterparts to that. So about the things that we now can live like because we're so different now. We're so different now. We want to please Jesus. Here are some examples tonight of how we can do that in terms of the stuff that we take off, that we're going to stop doing and the stuff that we're going to replace it with, the things that we're going to put on instead. And it's very personal. You look at verse 25, each of you. So he's talking about you and me as an individual, because the applications tonight are going to be different depending on who we are. It'll be specific to you. So, uh, uh, and also, it's really important. So he says, therefore, each of you must... And then he goes on with the, uh, the whole different areas that we're going to look at this evening. So we're talking about something that's very significant. And I suggest as you go through this evening, you could end up with a whole long list of things. Oh, I really want to do that and do that. And I want to stop doing that and carry on and all the rest of it. And uh, can I suggest if you pick up a list of half a dozen things that you might do tonight, you probably won't do any of them. You really probably won't do any of them. But... If you focus down, you said as you walked out of the church tonight, I really want to focus on just doing this one thing or laying aside that one thing and taking up instead of that, doing this instead. Just one thing or maybe two or at the very top three. Then you stand a much greater probability of being able to do it with God's help. So let's focus down tonight. Please don't take any more than two or three things that are very most away tonight that you'd like to do. Let's keep it simple and straightforward. 
Maybe just think of the one thing. Now, of course, you may kind of come up with that in the first point. That doesn't mean to say that you then switch off, okay? So it would be great if you listened all the way through. But please, don't have so much stuff that you want to kind of focus on doing that actually you end up doing nothing. Let's focus on what is realistic for us. And uh, we're going to have to go through these quite quickly, aren't we? Because there's quite a lot of stuff here. And the first one is this. Uh, no more falsehood. Look at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak, you see the positive counterpart, speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we're all members of one body. So he's saying here, it's not enough just to stop lying. Positively, we want to speak truthfully. Now, lies are a problem, because lies destroy churches. If you can't speak the truth to other people, especially if you can't speak the truth to Christian believers, to other Christians, then uh, uh, they're going to destroy the church, your lies. They will destroy you and they'll destroy the church. And he says here, put them away. Put them away. It's like putting them in the cupboard and lock the door and throw away the key. Put them away. Put them away. Because we, we need to be known, we want to be known, don't we, as people who are honest, who are careful to speak the truth at all times. So we won't be exaggerating, we'll make sure that we actually speak the truth and not that some painted picture of what, how it would like the, the story to come across. No damning with faint praise, no hypocritical, hypocritical criticism and so on. The fellowship that we enjoy here and that we were enjoying having a chat before the service and we'll have a chat after the service is based on trust. And trust is based on truth. And so we want to speak the truth to each other. Are you truthful? Let's put away these white lies. Of course, there's no such thing as a white lie, is there? They're all black. Let's simply refuse to lie at work. I mean, you know the card game cheat? My grandmother couldn't play cheat because she was incapable of lying. And when I was a Christian, you know, as a young lad, and I tried to get her to cheat, she couldn't do it. I wouldn't even try now. We want to speak the truth, don't we? We want to speak the truth at all times. And the positive counterpart, speak truthfully to your neighbour. Put the lies away. We're all members of one body. We want to maintain this unity, so we will want to speak truth with one another. Now, then, carrying on, no more anger. No more anger here. Um, Verses 26 and 27. Now, there are whole books written about anger, but this is very practical, isn't it? In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down. While you are still angry, do not give, all the, give the devil a foothold. Now, the whole book's written on this about dealing with anger. There's not time to do this now. But uh, can Christians ever be angry? Well, the answer is yes. Thanks, Sam. Or was it Matt? One of you said yes. Sam, Sam said yes. And uh, uh, yes, that's right. The answer is yes. In fact, John Stott, when he wrote about this, um, he thought that Christians should be more angry. More angry at sin. More angry at injustice, more angry at the results of our sin, more angry at what's going on in the lives, people's lives in our nation. Because God hates sin and so should we. And if we're just kind of letting letting it flow over us like with some kind of blancmange or something, then uh, uh, maybe we should be more angry. God hates sin. 
Evil arouses God's anger. God's anger. Psalm 119 and verse 52 said, in, says this, indignation grips me because of the wicked. But then also at the same time, as God's people, we have to be careful about anger. I mean, anger is uh, uh, very similar to danger, but without the D. So uh, it is a dangerous thing. Uh, someone has said, anger is a stone cast into a wasp's nest. As a Chinese proverb, not even the fastest horse can catch a word spoken in anger. And in verses 26 and 27 here, there are three things that we've got to be very careful about when it comes to anger. The first one is this, don't sin. So, ask yourself, is what I'm about to say sinful? If my anger is getting roused, is that sinful? Why am I angry is a good question to ask. Is this actually about me? Because pretty much all sinful anger is about me, isn't it? Because righteous anger will be about God's reputation. So is your anger actually really about you? And sinful anger is often quick anger. That's why the Bible talks to us about being slow to anger. Flying off the handle? It's most likely about you and you're too quick. Repent. Ask yourself the question God asked of Jonah. Have you a right to be angry? And for most of us, most of the time, the answer is no. And then, don't let the sun go down. Uh, Polycarp was a, a second century bishop. And, uh, uh, and he said, blessed is the man who remembers this. So don't nurse anger. Don't let the embers smolder. Get it sorted. Talk it out. Now, before you get to bed this evening, do it now, especially if you're married. You know a peat fire can burn underneath the surface for months and months and months. And then it can just uh, spark up again in the future. Well, so can our anger if you don't get it sorted. So let's get it sorted. Good principle. Don't let the sun go down. And the third thing, don't give an opportunity to the devil. Look at verse 27 here, uh, just as it goes over the page. Do not give the devil a foothold. The devil loves to lurk around angry people. He loves to tell you they are right and justified in being angry. You've usually, you're usually not right or justified at all. So don't listen to the devil. Don't listen to his lies. Or you'll end up like, say, verse 31 with more stuff to deal with. Because he says there, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, and along with every form of malice. We'll come back to that, but you'll get into a right cesspit, sort it out, get help, do it now. And no more stealing is number three. No more stealing. Verse 28, and the positive counterpart, uh, and uh, the end of verse 28 there, then do something useful with their own hands, or they may have something to share, that they may have something to share with those in need. Because it's not enough just to stop stealing. 
And there's not more, a lot more stealing than you think. We all steal in lots of ways, you know. And every single one of them breaks commandment number eight when God said don't steal. Some examples. Uh, we can steal, can't we, by uh, permanently borrowing. How about checking your bookcase? See if you've got anything there that belongs to someone else. Uh, check your toolbox. See if there's something there that belongs to someone else. Check your kitchen drawer. We steal by gossiping. Shakespeare said, He that filches from me my good name robs me of that which not enriches him and makes me poor indeed. We're stealing their reputation. We steal, of course, don't we, when we exaggerate an expense claim. We steal when we employ someone and then we expect them to work longer hours than they're contracted for. We steal when we uh, leave early from work. We steal when we're late. A friend of mine taught me that. That's right. We steal when we're late because we steal from those who are waiting for us. Now, of course, arriving at church late, it happens sometimes, doesn't it? If we're late every week, and who would we be stealing from then? God, I believe. Many more ways, of course, we steal. Uh, And positively, we want to be helpful to our community. We want to share with those in need. We could talk over coffee about how as a church or as KO or as feast we can do that. But we don't want to be stealers, do we? We really don't. Number four says, uh, uh, no more unhelpful language. No more unhelpful language. That's uh, verses 29 uh, and 30. There's an English proverb, a word spoken is past recalling. Or a more modern version is to say words like toothpaste. Once they're out, you can't get them back in. Uh, So he's saying here, don't use your mouth for evil, but for good. And uh, in verse 29, just look at verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Well, the word unwholesome is actually rotten. It's actually like rotten trees or rotten fruit. It's evil. It's used of stuff that is putrid and decaying and corrupting. And evil words hurt other people and they hurt us in the end, don't they? Our words are meant to benefit others, to be good, to build people up. And we want to help and to encourage and to comfort and to stimulate and to edify other people uh, by our words, don't we? So maybe before we speak, a little rain check. Is what I'm about to say true? Is it kind? Is it helpful? Is it necessary? And if it doesn't get four ticks, it may well be best to hold our tongue and to be careful. The trouble is we see so much on TV, don't we? Which is the awful use of words. I can't remember what it was we turned on to watch the television, or I turned on to watch on the television, but I found myself in Emmerdale a few weeks back. Now, I thought Emmerdale was a kind of archers on telly, but it's not. And I just caught about two or three minutes, uh, probably less actually, of someone being absolutely vile to someone else with her words. And we see it in all over the show, don't we? We see it in politics. 
perhaps especially across the pond, very interesting with the primaries going on at the moment. But aren't they, they, there is that tendency, I guess, in us all, and we, perhaps we just see it a bit more accentuated in political uh, um, uh, debates and uh, elections and, and electioneering and so on. Um, but uh, I wonder if they, uh, I mean, I think we've cleaned, cleaned things up a bit better in this country. But I wonder if our politicians, when they're electioneering, if they said, is it true, is it necessary, is it kind, and so on, uh, how much we'd, uh, how much better it would be. Difficult for them, we know. But how about our tweets? How about your Instagram? How about your Facebook? How about your conversation? How about the words that come out of your mouth? How about the words you, on your phone? Are they kind? Are they helpful? I mean, it could be about a third party, you see. So it could be about someone who will never get them. It's about the way we speak about other people as well. We just need to be careful, don't we? We want to be speaking good of others. We want to be encouraging others. We want to be careful about the way we use our words, don't we? Number five is uh, no more grieving the Holy Spirit in verse 30 there. Uh, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He is in your life if you're a Christian. And because he's a person, he can be grieved by our behavior. In other words, we can, we can cause him sorrow, pain, distress by our disunity, by our sinfulness, by our words. In, from what we've just been saying, our misuse of words spoken or on your phone or written in other ways um, can grieve the Holy Spirit. Paul probably had uh, Isaiah 63 in mind. Yet they, that's God's people, rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. That's verse 10. So he turned and became their enemy. And he himself fought against them. And you see, every spirit-filled believer desires to bring God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pleasure and not pain. And in some ways, this sums up the whole passage, doesn't it? Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He is in you. He is your seal. He is keeping you Secure for the day of redemption. When Jesus returns and takes you to heaven or the day we pass from this world, whichever happens first, walk with him hand in hand every day and let's not grieve the Holy Spirit. And then there's uh, no more malice. No more malice. Um, Verses 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And get rid is decisive. Now, um, have you come across this lady? Marie Kondo. Yep, she's the, uh, she's the Japanese tidying guru. She's the woman who's taught everyone how to fold things up. Um, anyway, when she goes to a client's house to help them to be more tidy, apparently, uh, I've read the book, so, uh, or one of her books anyway, and, uh, um, and she turns up with a roll of bin liners. 
Now it seems to me, well, and her principle is, if it doesn't bring you joy, bin it. Now it seems to me that the best way to have a tidy house is to throw everything away. Because if you've thrown everything away, it will be extremely tidy. So that's obviously the principle. Throw everything away, then you will be tidy. Um, but the bin liners thing is a good idea, isn't it? Isn't that a good idea in the Christian life? To uh, get the black sack out and do verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Bin bitterness. It was Aristotle who said, uh, an embittered and resentful spirit which refuses to be reconciled. Bin it. And rage. That means passionate wrath. Bin it. And anger. That's the more settled kind of uh, uh, sullen hostility to others. Bin it. And brawling. That's people getting excited in an argument, shouting, throwing things. They can hear you next door, raising their fists. Well, bin it. And slander, the word is actually blasphemy, speaking evil of others, especially behind their backs, don't stand for it, bin it, get the bin liner out. And it's all summed up, or if like encapsulated in one word, malice. That is ill will, wishing evil against other people. And he's talking here especially about the church. Surely not. We wouldn't do that, would we? Well, it was happening in Ephesus, and I guess it can happen in other churches as well. But then positively, look at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Have you noticed there, the one another and the each other? Little phrases there, that's both sides, that's all of us doing this together. That's a community where compassion and kindness dwell, where forgiveness uh, is practiced. Um, I was just reminded when I was preparing this, Pick Bota, the uh, um, uh, South African foreign minister who died fairly recently, he was in the last apartheid government in South Africa, uh, and the first government uh, of Nelson Mandela. And um, uh, he was uh, speaking of uh, an, in, an interview in 2013 about Nelson Mandela. And he said this, I so often experienced his capacity to forgive. And then I heard about this missionary. He was called James, still is. And uh, it was once publicly asked if he could forgive violent men who had shot and disfigured him in the face and then raped his wife in front of him. And he replied, I can forgive them because my Father in heaven has forgiven me for so much more. No more malice. Forgiveness. And uh, uh, question, why? Why do we live like this? Why do we want to live like this? This is not a list of commandments. This is what we are. We couldn't be more different. So what are you wearing today? What needs to get changed? 
Well, we haven't quite finished because there's one great motive to help us. It's one word. And the word is Jesus. He is the motive. Look at verse 32. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we've already begun. But uh, why? First, Jesus' forgiveness. We can be helped to be kind and generous and compassionate and forgiving by looking at Jesus. And as we do so, by seeing that there at the cross, God made forgiveness possible. And at what a cost. And his death made our forgiveness possible and made our forgiving of others essential. We can do the same. For some of us, we carry huge burdens and there are massive hurts in our lives and it's not easy at all. But the starting point is always the cross. Jesus' forgiveness. And Jesus' example. Last week we said uh, we're not chameleons. Blending in with the world around us. We're not going to be the same as everyone else. Jesus wasn't, was he? And we're just not just into kind of antiseptic abstinence. We're a people who will positively seek to do good. We're a people who will positively seek to, verse 32, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving one another. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And as it says, as it just goes on there in chapter 5 and verse 1, this is next week, but follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Imitation's a good thing, though. Just in case you're thinking, oh, cheap plastic imitation, that's not really worth having. No, imitating Jesus is a good thing. There was a bit of a rage. It's still around on some people's wrists. The WWJD wristband. What would Jesus do? It's not new though. There's a guy called Charles Sheldon in the early 20th century. He wrote a book, In His Steps. And in that book, he uh, suggested in any situation, and he said this, What would Jesus have done in this circumstance? Wouldn't probably fit on a wristband so well, would it? But what would Jesus have done in this circumstance? We have the most wonderful, wonderful example. So, what are you wearing today? What are you wearing today? Need to get changed? Are we going to remember Jesus' forgiveness? And we're going to remember Jesus' example. 
And let's ask him now to help us work on maybe just one thing. One thing to take off and the positive alternative. Maybe two, perhaps three, but please no more for this week. Let's pray. Father, we, we will all have many things that we want your help to help us with this. And thank you, your word is so practical, and there's more next week. And we thank you that we've got Jesus, in Jesus' forgiveness, and we have a great example. And we know that life is so different now for us. So we pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see maybe a couple of things where we can say, well, I want to take off that behavior with your help. And I want to do the positive alternative. Please, Lord, help us to be different this week. For Jesus' sake. Amen.